Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is artist branding consultant Laura Bull. First of all, you've heard so much about the coronavirus, about COVID-19, and you're probably sick of hearing it. I'm not going to spend much time. I've written about it, and I think it's everyone's responsibility to be aware as much as they can about what's going on. The only thing I can say is be a barrier, not a carrier. Protect yourself, not so much because you'll get sick because the chances are fairly low, but because what might happen to other people. So, for instance, you want to protect the cancer patient. You want to protect the weak parents or grandparents that you have or your friend with the weak immune system. That's the problem. It's not so much that anybody that's healthy is actually going to get sick because it's unlikely. I've done a lot of studying on this recently, and what I found is the coronavirus is actually something that we can protect ourselves very well from by just washing our hands. It's not very good at getting through our skin. As a matter of fact, it can't. So the only way we transmit it is if we pick it up from our hands and we put our hands in our face, and that's why they tell you not to do that. So if you protect yourself by washing a lot and by not touching your face, all this should be over soon. That's the good part. In the meantime, use the time you have off, because you may have time off from work now. You may have time off from school. Use it wisely. Practice your instrument. Practice mixing. Finish that project that you've been trying to for a while. Record that song that's been in your head for a while. Or write more. Take a course. Learn something new. This is a time that we can utilize not only for the best of ourselves, but for the best for everybody else. So that's all I'm going to say on the subject. But again, take advantage of the downtime while you can. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Here's something I found interesting. In the latest issue of Music Sales, which dedicates itself to the musical instrument retail industry, they had their annual survey of what was selling, where it was selling, and where it was coming from. And the one thing that you should probably know is where your instrument, where your piece of pro audio gear is being made is now changing. It's not going to be China anymore. Because already in the fourth quarter of last year, that's the end of the year, manufacturers were moving out of China and moving to Vietnam or Indonesia or Malaysia. And the reason why has nothing to do with coronavirus, because this is before that. It's because of the trade war and the tariffs. So in order to get around that, what they've done, and this is the industry at large, has already moved to one of those countries out of China. The Chinese exports already are way down, like Chinese piano exports. They were down 75% last year, and acoustic guitars were down 23% in the last quarter. So we're seeing this big shift, and I don't think 
we're going to see any reduction in quality. The prices may go up a little bit, and I think, if anything, the coronavirus has taught people that maybe the whole thing about just-in-time inventories, in other words, you don't carry in the inventory until you need it right now, maybe there might be a better way to think about that, and they may go back to having a little bit more in hand than before. So here's something else I found that was interesting. If you look at the five biggest companies in the industry, I think you're going to be surprised. Number one is Harman Pro Audio at $1 billion. Yes, they do a billion bucks alone by themselves. Sure comes in at number two at $740 million. Who would have thought they would sell that many microphones? Of course, they sell more than that, but mics are the basis of their business. Number three is one that I would have expected higher, but I certainly expected in the top five, and that's Fender at $718 million. Number four, I kind of expected to be number one. That's Yamaha, but they only did $702 million total last year. And number five is a total surprise. It's Steinway. Steinway did $476 billion worth of business last year. The only thing I can think of with the Steinway is the fact that the prices are so high on them that they don't have to sell nearly as many in order to have a very, very strong total, which they have. So it looks like the trade war is being shook off pretty well by Western musical instrument industries and manufacturers moving elsewhere, something we should have predicted or known was coming. I guess today's Laura Bull, who spent 10 years with Sony Music Entertainment, where she became one of the company's youngest executives at the age of 28. During her tenure, she spearheaded artist development and marketing for artists like Carrie Underwood, Brad Paisley, and Johnny Cash, among hundreds of other artists from Arista, RCA, Columbia, Epic, and Monument Records. Laura is an expert who specializes in marketing and transforming people into viable brands by teaching what it takes to become a powerful influencer. Her book, From Individual to Empire, is a guide for building an authentic and powerful musical brand. During the interview, we spoke about artist branding, the difference between marketing and branding, the it factor of an artist, working through a regime change at a label, and much, much more. I spoke with Laura via Skype from her home in Dallas. Let's just go to your music background, first of all. Tell me how you got into the music business. Oh, well, um, I, you know, I, I guess in like high school, I did all the choirs and the operas and um i thought i went into it thinking i was going to do the mu- music side um and really i was concentrating on the a and r side of things and helping artists really discover who they are and and help figure out their sound and their songs and um so i went to belmont university for music business and then i immediately started working at sony as an intern and within a semester or two, um, a position opened up in the marketing department. And then I realized once I started working in the marketing department that it was so much, it was just as creative, you know, doing the marketing side of things um, as the A&R. So I just never looked back. I stayed in marketing the, my rest of the 10 years at Sony. That's a long time to be at one job in the music business. You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and there was like a joke uh, among the industry, like, wow, 
you've been there for a decade. Like that's unheard of. So yeah, it's very, very rare actually. So you worked on a lot of campaigns for major artists then. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've worked during my tenure there. I was a lot of the different imprints because they, you know, they always move you around for imprints, but um, I mean, every, everybody from Dixie Chicks on your monument to um, Epic, which they closed down and I think they've reopened it again for the Nashville department, but um, Columbia and RCA, Arista, Arista and RCA were the last two that I worked um, imprint wise when I was at the label. Can you give me an idea of, what a typical marketing campaign might be like for an artist. I think what I'm getting at here is, was there a template that you worked off of or was each one unique? So each one is unique and it really depends on the brand. So that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote this book because I would have artists come to me ready for marketing and they would be ready for a marketing plan and to get their music out there, they would have the album done. And more times than not, the problem was, is that they didn't have a brand in place or more than just the music. And I know that sounds crazy to musicians, but it's true. Um, it's their personality has to be factored into it. And, and you know, their traits and all kinds of stuff actually comes into play to the actual brand. So yeah, the, if, if you're doing it right, you should not be mimicking any marketing plan from any other artist. Well, let's go there for a second about branding because that's a very mysterious subject to many people. I have a branding course myself and I realized that many times you talk to an artist about branding and their eyes just glaze over. Oh, yeah, cuz they there so many times they don't understand the difference between marketing and branding. They think they're the same. Yeah. So, what do you do to get the point across? Well, basically, um you know, it's, it's just a lot of education. And that's actually why I wrote the book because, you know, there's, you know, Carrie Underwood is, it did not just become Carrie Underwood. There was a lot of branding behind her, especially coming out of American Idol. A lot of times that's actually a hindrance um, to somebody's brand. So yeah, I mean, you have to really dig into the brand side of things. And, and the way I, I say it two ways, first off, marketing is what you want to say for the next 20 days. And branding is what you want to say for the next 20 years. Are you going to be as longevity of a career as a Madonna or somebody like Beyonce? You know, these people have stayed around. Their brand has not changed. They have evolved, but they have not changed since when they first came out. So, you know, that's one thing I say. The other thing is you can have the the best marketing plan can get you a number one hit. But without a branding strategy in place, you're not going to get two number one albums. You're not going to get three number one albums. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of one hit wonders out there. And it's because they had good marketing strategy, but not good branding strategy. Okay. Well, speaking of branding strategy, then I think the most difficult thing for an artist and anyone that's helping the artist is to discover the brand and then develop it. So where would you go with that? So I always say you have to look within for the brand, right? You do need to be cognizant of competition just to be able to make sure that your brand is competitive in the marketplace, but you do not need to look at competition to develop your own brand. Excuse me. Sorry. So when you're developing a brand, you know, the first part of my book is all about 
the psychology of influence. How do you really get to influence a large population? So, you know, there's a lot of celebrities out there that have zero ounce of influence, which means they can't sell anything, right? Yeah. Uh, and the flip side of that is there's thousands and thousands, especially with the internet now, there's thousands of influencers out there that um, are not necessarily celebrities. You know, your local mayor is an influencer. Clergy is an influencer. Um, but also Oprah and Martha. And so it's like, how do these people really dig in and figure out um, how to influence an audience to respond to what their what their authentic selves are? So, and then that goes into, okay, what is your authentic self? Well, everybody has personality traits that need to be factored in. So I have actually the five P's of successful influencers and together those really showcase, you know, talent, everybody has talent. Talent doesn't dictate success or not, but these five P's do, you know, like grit, grit really factors into whether somebody is going to be successful in the long run or not. Um, and then what I do is I take that information or I walk the reader through that information and there's exercises along the way in the book. Um, and then it, that goes into the brand matrix, which is the way that I help showcase the three major elements of a brand, which are product image and narrative, and then helping that person find out all dig all those things about them and their music or whatever their product is. Cause you know, if a politician is, selling themselves, what they're really selling is their policies, because that's how they're going to vote, right? So whatever that is, the product that they're selling, what, where do those coexist? Where do those three major elements coexist in the person's brand? And so there's, I have diagrams and stuff for the, the reader to actually work out and figure out what their authentic brand is. How did you develop all this? Oh, uh, 20 years in the music industry, almost 25. Um, honestly, it's it's been a long time working with students because I also teach music business and I also teach marketing. So that those whole factors together. But, you know, just working with artists because even after the beginning, you know, you don't just stop branding. You're always branding. You know, the last part of my book is really focusing on, you know, as an influencer, you're going to change. You're going to evolve. Your life priorities are going to change. You're going to have life experiences that take you, you know, down a different path. All of those things are going to have to alter what your brand is, but yet brands have to be consistent over time. So there's also that psychological element of, okay, how do you evolve your brand without changing those core elements? So the brand matrix really helps you figure out what those core elements are. How would you describe your brand? <laughs> um, well, I am pretty dedicated. I have some humorous elements into my conversational tone. I'm Southern. I'm very classic. And, you know, I like things that are very classic and clean and not a lot of flash to it. And really just I'm all about empowering other people to really get in there and do it themselves because, you know, not everybody has a connection with some somebody that's worked at a record label or who can actually walk them through the process. So by doing this book, it's really trying to give inspiration and empower other people to do it themselves. I think a good explanation of branding, it doesn't work necessarily in the music business. And to a degree it does, but 
brand is consistency and quality. It's expectations of consistency and quality. McDonald's is the big one. No matter where you go in the world, the Big Mac is a Big Mac and the Golden Arches are the Golden Arches. Absolutely. That's easier on a product than it is on a person, especially somebody in music. Because as you know, music changes, an artist changes, and the product somewhat changes. And yes, you can still hear the same qualities, but it still does change. So how do you reconcile that? So as I was kind of alluding to earlier, so the um, so for instance, let's take Taylor Swift as an example. Taylor Swift, I say old Taylor Swift, i.e. country Taylor Swift versus new pop version of Taylor Swift. Obviously, her product has changed, right? Yeah. The sound of the product. But if you really dig into what the themes of what she is doing, those have stayed the same pretty consistently. She's really a storyteller at heart. So if you really dig into the storyteller aspect of things, but again, The Matrix is about a group of characteristics and traits. It's not about one thing, right? So if Taylor Swift wants to dye her hair brown tomorrow, her blonde hair has absolutely nothing to do with her all-American, you know, girl next door image. So those things, if you if you look about like the type of clothing that she wears, the type of wardrobe she wears, um, she's never too revealing. She's never too flashy. She has definitely elevated her style over time from going from cowgirl boots and sundress to, you know, fashion forward statements. Um, but overall, that look has stayed the same. So what we're trying to do is figure out what those core elements are that don't change over time, that that you can evolve everything else around what the artist is and everything else outside of those core pillars can change. But really, those core do not change. So if you think about like, for instance, Madonna, you know, she's still overtly sexual and she's still, you know, trying to push buttons. You know, these are still elements that have been part of her brand since the 80s. She's still doing that today. Obviously, she's evolved over time. But again, it's about what is it that these artists really want to stand for for the next 20 years, not just what they want to say on this album. Yeah, you know, the thing about Taylor Swift that I always found interesting was because of her interaction with her fans online and especially in the early days, you know, when her concerts are pre Taylor Swift, the star, she always seemed like the girl next door. A hundred percent. And if, you know, you were a, a little girl, you could relate to her as your friend. And now that she's grown and you've grown, you feel that, yeah, now she's my older successful sister or my older successful friend from next door, but you still have that feeling about her. Am I right? Yeah. And, and right. So like, you know, from, you know, she practically developed MySpace communities. I mean, she responded to almost every single, I mean, think about back in MySpace. I mean, she responded to every single fan that reached out to her there. She's continued that on other platforms as platforms have evolved, like Tumblr, and she talks directly to her fans. She remembers her fans, but also she does things like album release parties in her homes. She will invite 20 or 30 people, fans into her home to share the new music with as a friend would, right? Um, she went out one year and bought Christmas presents for a bunch of fans that she was um, talking with online. And she actually showed up at some of their houses to do it. I mean, so 
that kind of connection that she has had has stayed true her entire career. And that's why when an artist, if an artist had not been that consistent in that kind of behavior and all of a sudden decided to do something like buy Christmas presents for their fans, it, it comes across as ingenuous. It, it's not authentic. But for Taylor, since it's been part of her brand, it's completely authentic. Yeah. That being said, she's very comfortable online. She's very comfortable with that kind of interaction. But not all artists feel that way. Many artists are very introverted and would prefer not to do something like that. So what do you tell them for their brand? So you don't, so I'm not saying that people should go out and do what Taylor Swift is doing because that only works for Taylor Swift. So that makes it even more purposeful for them to do a branding process to figure out what it is that they they are like and what they can bring to the table that is authentic to them. If it's not authentic, it is it will destroy your career. So that's the number one thing is to to get down to the psychology of it and really find out who these artists are. Because if let's say I'm trying to think of a somebody who's very introverted, like that wouldn't that wouldn't make sense for Beyonce to do, right? It, it would it would be disingenuous if Beyonce did something like that all of a sudden, right? So, but Beyonce has her other things that she can do. So really marketing strategy, again, comes from that branding strategy. Well, again, now if we're talking about an artist who isn't particularly comfortable on, on social or is, but only on one platform or doesn't have the time to do it, or won't dedicate the time like other artists will. So what do you do in that case? Well, it's really hard when an artist is not involved uh, with the elements of marketing and the business side of things. But it's hard for me to say, to give one, because basically what you're asking is for a marketing strategy for somebody, and I can't really give that. So it's more like, it's figuring out exactly what that person is comfortable with. If they, and here's another thing, influencers don't just live online, right? George Clooney has no social media presence whatsoever, and yet he's out there changing the world and influencing massive populations. So if an artist wants to use their music in a way that um, influences audiences, so be it. They can do it that way, or they can get involved in um, charitable aspects if that's something that they feel passionate about. Uh, there's so many different ways to connect with an audience that doesn't necessarily, uh, that is authentic for their brand. And my book is not about marketing strategy. It's about branding and it's about really figuring out what the artist wants to say for the next 20 years. So it's not about, you know, giving tips on social media strategy and things like that. That's, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of books out there for that. So it really, you do, you would read my book before you would read the marketing strategy books. What would be step number one to develop your brand? Um, I, I think it has to be, you know, starting with a psychological questionnaire, if you will, and really writing down a lot of things about where, what your strengths are. Strengths is a big thing. What the traits are that are, that are, um, you know, unique to you figuring out and and this is all exercises through my book so it starts with the psychology at the first half of the book um really figuring out how to use that that influence over the audience that you have and also figuring out what target audience you have because 
the target audience is going to dictate what a shared identity you're going to have with the audience. And that shared identity is going to really have them connect into an artist and believe in them because they understand that shared identity. Um, So it's all, it's a bunch of just really digging in on the psychological level and figuring out, you know, what those key elements are. How long did it take you to write the book? Ooh, five years. <laughs> five years. <laughs> There's a lot of research that went into it, you know, and I, I, I pulled a bunch of examples. It's very, it is a business book, but it's also structured by stories. So there are stories from artists that I've worked with. Um, and there's a bunch of different examples from pop culture. And I mean, everybody's in there from Kanye to, I don't know, Ellen to Martha Stewart. There's a lot of people that are in there. So there's just been a lot of research. And, um, and then I already knew, like I said, I went into the process writing for musicians and then it just kind of expanded from there. And now it's kind of all encompassing. Is there one particular category of business person that ignores branding more than another than the others? Yeah. <laughs> influencers. Yeah. Uh, in general, I find influencers because what they say is, oh, well, I know who I am and I'm ready. You know, I know who I am. That's great. And it's probably accurate to some degree, but do you know who you are in a unique way and an authentic way for the marketplace that you're entering? You know, we already have a Beyonce. We already have um, a Kevin Hart. We already have The Rock, you know, So it's really, it's like, okay, so you know who you are. Let's break that down and put it into a way that you can see how that is separate from the competition and how it does make you unique and confident. And then, you know, how does that go into, how do you, how do you actually present that to the consumer so that they will respond to it? Um, so I think that, yeah, I think influencers in general, artists in general are, it is a educational process and trying to explain the necessity of the branding before marketing. One of the things that I always found fascinating about branding is on one hand, you have this category of artists and we'll just stay in the music business for a second that kind of falls into their brand. They inherently know what it is without really knowing and they could never explain what it is. And then, on the other hand, you have the artist whose brand has been built up, who's been constructed. And I'm not saying done in any malicious way or, you know, just there's been advisors that really kind of constructed it or Mm -hmm. or brought it out. Mm -hmm. What then happens is you have all these people in the middle who sort of have a strategy, but not really. And, and I would think that's where your book would really fall into the the most when it comes down to it. Yeah. And honestly, the artists that come out of the gate and they really know who they are, like Miranda Lambert, I worked with her for 10 years and she uh, instinctively from 17 years old, maybe earlier, I didn't know her before then, but uh, she just knew exactly what her brand was. And, and that to me is the it factor, Right. You know, everybody talks about this it factor, but if the, if an artist really knows who they are and and where they're coming from artistically and from a business standpoint, they have the confidence 
that people buy into and they get it. And it's clear and concise to the consumer. They can see it and they get it, you know, and that's the it factor really. So that's, yeah, if, if there's very few people that really get that straight out of the gate, the, the thing that I will say about the other side of things is you don't want a boardroom of people to develop your brand because then it will be, it won't be pulled from yourself. Does that make sense? It yep. will be built more about the competition. So there will be more changes. It could be muddled, you know, and this is kind of where a lot of record labels will just release a single and see what happens, you know, and they, they just wait for the feedback and they consider it market research, but it's really not because it's really just to the gatekeepers that they're releasing it to. So <clears throat> they're not really getting consumer feedback per se, but those are the people that really struggle in the long term. And so, and especially nowadays when you really have to have your business already going before a record label will even look at you, you really are, it is, it is, I think it is always the responsibility of the artist to figure out their brand on their own to build their own business. You know, if you look at branding, you might say that, well, the fundamentals are the same. They have been the same. It hasn't really changed in a really long time. But do you see that changing? Do you see any evolution of branding? Well, your typical, if, if you're talking about branding in context of like your typical branding process, usually you're talking about a product and not a person. So if I was branding Nike, what you would do is you would go in and you would put a personality onto the shoe in order to sell it, right? So when we're talking about people, I think that like my book, to my knowledge, is the only time that it has even been discussed to bring psychology into the mix of the branding process. And that and it's because we, you know, our product already has a personality. They already have goals and they're going to change their lives over time. And most of them are very creative people. So they want to be able to be fluid in what they come up with. And so how does all of that factor into creating a long-term brand? And I think that is a new idea that nobody's really talked about. What's the biggest mistake you've made in this? <laughs> Me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, honestly, I think that um, that's a good question because I, I can't think of anything crazy off the top of my head. I just know that, you know, as a marketer, you're always trying to make sure your artists are successful, no matter, you know, no matter what. And every single artist that has come across my desk, I've always tried to make them successful. And I think that the ones that have not are because they did not have a clear brand. So that that has made me go down this crusade of, okay, if you get your brand, you're 90% of the way there, you know, and I think that, and you're not wasting money and you're not spinning your wheels. And, you know, a lot of the artists these days are independent and they're doing it from their basement and they're doing it on shoestring budget. And if you are doing that, you don't have the resources to go out there and just, oh, let's just send it out and see what works, you know? So I think just really making sure that artists get it down at the beginning is the best way. And that's why I'm on this crusade at this point. What's the time frame for developing a brand? 
Oh, anything. It can be anything. It depends on the person. Um, some people, you know, just have a passion for music and they really don't know what they want to say. They just want to go out there and say it. And that is going to take longer to figure out because in a lot of times that just means that they don't really have the life experiences yet or really have even thought about it much. And so those could take longer and it is hard work. And like I said earlier, I would brand an artist before every album launch because you always want to make sure that you're moving with the target audience and evolving correctly and slowly. Like, so think about a Pepsi logo over the last hundred years, you know, there's a threshold where if you're moving very, very slowly and evolving very, very slowly, step by step, the consumer won't get whiplash. But if you went from the first Pepsi logo to the current one, that's going to, you know, what what's happening? You know, the consumers will get confused. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a big thing, too. Last question, Laura. What's the best piece of business advice that either you learned along the way or maybe someone imparted to you? I got to think about that one. <laughs> the best business advice. Um, well, I had, uh, you know, presidents at record labels change all the time. So I actually worked under four different presidents. And one of them on their first day, they came in and they said, you know, I, I'm so passionate about this music. I'm actually a fan of this music. And the day that I wake up and I look in the mirror and I say, I am no longer, you know, making people's dreams come true. That's the day that I get out of this. And I, that has always stayed with me. That's been about 20 years ago now. And I, I think that's true. I think that like, no matter what I'm doing in this industry, from working at the record label or consulting or teaching music business students or marketing students, it's it, it or writing this book, it's really about helping people, you know, figure out a way to make their dreams come true. And that's kind of what has stayed with me the longest. And so the day that I look in the mirror and I'm not doing that anymore is the day I get out of the music industry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned about working for four different presidents. What's it like during a regime change? Oh, <laughs> um, it is stressful. It's stressful for the people involved and it's stressful for the artists. Um, and you're kind of in a stalemate because you don't really know what your directions are because the next person could be completely different. Um, but we were lucky with a couple of really quick changes. You know, the big merger was worldwide and that took a couple of years to go through. And uh, But, you know, you always worry for your artists and you always worry for the person sitting next to you if they're going to have a job the next day. So it's just stressful. But at the end of the day, everybody goes in there and, you know, Again, they have the artists in mind and want to sell some music, and that's kind of what everybody just puts their head down and does. You can find out more about Laura and her book at laurabull.com. That's laurabull, B-U-L-L, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyownercircle.com, where you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts to new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby.